0: Thank you, Stephen. Hey, brothers. Good to be here. You know, it's, um, I think the last time I spoke at a men's meeting, we called it Iron Sharpens Iron. And now it's called Forge. (laughs) You know, and when they first came up with that name, they put out, there's a different logo now, but the first logo that I saw was like this anvil, you know, with grease and, dark and it looked like somebody had just been banging on metal, you know, and it it just kind of gives this impression, I think, of what the, what the leadership of this church want. We want to be men, you know, <laughs> we want to be authentic, real, uh, godly men, and I think that's a good thing, and uh, so as I was thinking about what to talk about, um, this whole idea of authenticity, what makes someone or something authentic is a really big issue and uh, it should be an issue for us who want to be men of god Um, i i read this book just recently called authenticity which is more about marketing and you know what customers want and i think it's kind of interesting that the whole issue of authenticity has become more important the more scarce it's become in our society. You know, we're living in a time when reality TV is the number one source of entertainment. Reality TV, right? Not much reality in it. I uh, recently saw an advertisement for Kraft Macaroni and Cheese with Authentic Velveeta. (laughs) What is that, you know? And, and and then I don't know if you guys have if you have a cable TV you know that uh, at least where I live channel forty for all last year was FSN, Fox Sports Network. But now it's something else. Now it's Comcast Sports Network, and their logo is Authentic Sports. I guess that means they don't have poker at night, right? But authenticity in the world is uh, consumer-based. It's based upon the felt needs of the people out there. Uh, The standards for authenticity are often subjective. You know, it's based upon how people respond to it. If they respond well, if they think it's good, then it's authentic. But as men of God, we have a different standard for authenticity. And it's based on an objective standard, and that is the creator of the universe. He is the definition of what is real, what is true, and what is authentic. And so I've entitled this talk, Truth, Transparency, and Telling It Like It Is. Because I think that those are the components of what makes us to be authentic people of God. And I want to confess to you that I have a bit of a weakness in this area. And it's affected me personally and in my leadership because I tend to want to tell people what they want to hear. And uh, I tend to sometimes grease the wheels of uh, communication and relationship based upon what I think will make for the smoothest kind of... uh, of interaction. Can you identify with that? You know, um, I err on the side of wanting to make people feel comfortable and really when you get down to it it's more that I want to make sure that they feel comfortable about me. You know it's more about me than anything and, and it's not that I'm seeking to be dishonest but there's a cost that comes with being a straight shooter with being authentic in the way that we relate to one another. And I think sometimes that kind of authenticity is in short supply even and especially <laughs> among men of God. And so we want to we think about that here. Uh, a number of years ago, Pastor Terry turned me on to a book by James Fenimore Cooper called The Deerslayer. If you haven't read it, I really encourage you to. As I read it, I, I recognize what Pastor Terry appreciated about this guy. He's, he's authentic. He's a truth teller. He's a straight shooter. And in this little section that I want to read, it is commenting on the deerslayer's ability to say kind things about people and to speak truth to them. It was not the terms in which this admiration had been expressed, for they were simple enough that produced so strong an impression, nor yet their novelty or their warmth of manner nor any of those peculiarities that usually give value to praise, but the unflinching truth of the speaker that carried his words so directly to the heart of the listener." This is one of the great advantages of plain dealing and frankness. The habitual and wily flatterer may succeed until his practices recoil on himself and like other sweets, his ailment cloys by its excess. But he who deals honestly, though he often necessarily offends, possesses a power of praising that no quality but sincerity can bestow, since his words go directly to the heart, finding their support in the understanding, thus it was with the deerslayer. So soon and so deeply did this simple hunter impress those who knew him with a conviction of unbending honesty, that all he honored in commendation was as certain to please as all he uttered in the way of rebuke was certain to wrangle and excite enmity where his character had not awakened a respect and affection that in another sense rendered it painful. Sometimes we have to speak words that are not going to be comfortable for someone to hear and they're not gonna be comfortable for us to speak but if we're committed to being authentic people, truth tellers, then we've gotta be willing to take the risk. And there is a risk in being authentic. There is a risk in truth. So what is truth? That's what Pilate asked, remember? When he was trying Jesus, Jesus told him, for this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then Pilate responded with that question for the ages, what is truth? Well, Webster's Dictionary defines it as that which accords with fact or reality. But in our present postmodern confusion, truth has kind of taken a bum rap. And the question that Pilate asked so long ago is often asked today by people who don't think there's an answer to it. But truth is the stuff that reality is made of and it's what makes us authentic. What's the measuring stick for truth? For authenticity? It's God himself. And it's funny, if you think about it, people want to place relativism into the realm of the spiritual. You know, what I say about God is true for me and what you say about God is true for you and they may be polar opposites. But in point of fact, the very foundation of truth is God himself. Jesus said, I am the truth. And he promised the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who would be the spirit of truth. And so when we're talking about truth, when we're talking about authenticity, we're really going to the very character of who God is. And people, we need to recognize that truth, based on the very character of God, is what our standard is for authenticity. And when we commit to that, it can meet the deepest and most profound needs of our soul. Now, we were talking about movies a little while ago, and I think that this issue is often brought up in filmography. I know we got a lot of film buffs here. One of my favorite movies is The Matrix. And you're perhaps familiar with the scene where Cypher is betraying the group, and he's meeting in this fake restaurant and he's asking to be reinserted into the matrix. And he says, when, I, when you reinsert me, I don't want to remember anything. Nothing. And he's sitting there and he's eating this steak and he says, I know this steak isn't real. That the matrix is telling me that it's a steak and that it's juicy and that it tastes great. And he chews on it and he says, ignorance is bliss. But that's a lot of the way that people want to relate to this issue of truth. Another one of my favorites is that climax of that scene between Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise and a few good men, you know, and Cruise is going in for the kill. And uh, Nicholson is feeling and He says, you want answers? Cruise says, I think I'm entitled. He says, you want answers? Cruz says, I want the truth. And what does Nicholson say? You can't (laughs) handle the truth. That's right. And a lot of us can't sometimes when it gets to the point where it's too close to home, and so we avoid it. Or maybe you like this comedy, Liar, Liar. (laughs) Remember Jim Carrey? He had spent his whole life shading and dissembling, and lying, and then all of a sudden something happens, and he has to tell the truth, and it turns his world upside down. Well, there's a lot of reality in that. (laughs) There's a lot of authenticity in thinking about the issues of truth in that context. Every day, brothers, we have to choose, moment by moment, whether we're going to operate within reality, or cling to our favorite illusions about ourselves, and so... Living truthfully is a commitment. And it's more than just refraining from lying. It's a disposition, it's a commitment of our hearts and our minds that we view ourselves and others and the world around us with accuracy. And think about it. Even though we don't want to tell people when there's a problem that we can see clearly because we don't want to risk our friendship or risk the uncomfortability of it, it is no mercy to allow someone to continue in that false comfort. The illusions and the lies. Ignorance is not bliss. It's not. Paul told the Thessalonians, men perished because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. 2 Thessalonians 2.10. Think about it. Just five days after George O'Leary was hired, to be Notre Dame's new football coach, he had to resign. He'd lied on his resume about his academic background. Stephen Ambrose had to apologize for lifting phrases and sentences from a different author's book and putting them into his, The Wild Blue. And of course, this last week, the news has been dominated by, you know, whether or not Hillary Clinton had to dodge sniper fire. (laughs) Getting off the tarmac in Bosnia. And it's been the grist for conversations. No, we live in a truth where we live in a world where truth is a commodity in short supply. Lying is the warp and, and woof of social interaction, of business, of politics, and yes, even of religion or spiritual concerns. Louis Smedes from Fuller Seminary wrote, Lying breaks the tissue of faith which holds community together. Don Fuller said, I know of no one who doesn't tell tolerated lies. We tell polite lies. We speak in euphemisms. We exaggerate. We gloss over true details. We have become a society of cynics thinking that a white lie hurts people less than the plain truth. But even a white lie, says Fullis, prevents the deceived person from responding freely to reality. See, the most basic truth that we have to grab hold of here tonight is that it exists independently of your opinion and mine, of your preference and mine, because it's rooted in the character of God that does not change. But it's the matrix of sin and self-absorption that makes it difficult for us to separate truth from our own self-interest which wants to shade reality. And in our postmodern world, our culture's philosophy leads to a deconstruction of truth as a universal value. I read recently a Barner research uh, on this very issue, uh, about the issue of truth. 87% of the respondents said that they believed that living with a high degree of integrity was their number one priority. But in the same survey, those same people were asked to respond to the following statement. There is no such thing as absolute truth. People can define truth in conflicting ways, but could still be correct, like I was talking about before. Okay, so 30% of those surveyed agreed strongly with that statement, and 40% agreed somewhat. Only 10% disagreed somewhat, and 15% disagreed strongly. So 70% of those people who said that integrity was their number one value said that people could believe polar opposites and still be... Okay, that's an amazing statistic. In the book, The Day America Told the Truth, it said that 91% of Americans lie regularly at home and at work. And in answer to the question, whom have you regularly lied to? The statistics included 86% parents and 75% friends. A third of AIDS carriers admitted to not having told their partners. Most workers admit to goofing off an average of seven hours a week and half admitted that they regularly called in sick when they're not. Am I getting close, too close to whom? <laughs> I don't know. Well, here's some things that the Bible says about the problem of the lack of truth. Just a few verses. Isaiah 59 14. So justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets and honesty cannot enter. What a picture. Truth has stumbled in the streets. This is Isaiah 59, 15. Truth is nowhere to be found and whoever shuns evil has become a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased. Displeased. Jeremiah 9, 3. They made their tongue like a bow to shoot lies. It is not by truth that they triumph in the land. They go from one sin to another. They do not acknowledge me, declares the Lord. Acts 20, verse 30. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples from them. See, it's very easy to talk about truth in the abstract. Truth is good as long as it is expedient. But when we actually commit ourselves to the truth, then we take on a more difficult standard. Woody Allen wrote in Deconstructing Harry, all people know the truth. Our lies consist in how we choose distort it. So, that's the society that we live in. And we sometimes, like the proverbial frog in the water, don't even realize how it impacts the way we live, our own problems with integrity or lack thereof, and even the way we talk to one another, our honesty or lack thereof. But Proverbs 23, 23 tells us, Buy the truth and sell it not. What does that mean for you? Buy the truth and sell it not. Spurgeon commented on that verse. He said, always be determined, come what may, to accept the truth, and though it should cost you dear, yet still pursue it. Now, some of us are hearers of the truth, but we need to become buyers of it. In other words, we need to value it and be willing to pay the price for it. Some who sold the truth in order to be respectable or to embrace the pleasures that this world offers end up with nothing. But to love the truth and to love the spirit who is truth means facing the the prospect of life without recourse to exaggeration without the comfortability of the white lie occasionally. There's an old Jewish proverb that says, a lie can take you very far, but it'll never bring you back home. And so we have to be willing to be brutal in our honesty. And i tell you, some of the worst places to look for it is among believers. We have this phrase among evangelists. We talk about evaluating things evangelistically speaking. Numbers get pumped up. Results get magnified. I was at a conference recently where I was asked to speak on this subject and I said, you know what, guys? We come to to a conference like this and we look at each other like we're all talking to our donors, you know? But you can't kid a kidder. Let's be honest. We're not having the successes that we think we do, that we tell our donors that we do. Let's be honest. And I don't think that it's just among evangelists and ministers that this is a problem. Pursue truth. Buy truth. Strike no pose. There has to come a time when the best salesman stops selling. And that's what authenticity is in our relationships. And what does that mean? It means transparency. We talked about truth. Now we're talking about transparency. And you can't begin to be transparent with others if you're not, first of all, transparent with yourself. That's the challenge. And how many of us actually see ourselves like we really are? how many of us realize the extent to which we are self-deceived when we're committed to or habituated to seeing ourselves in a certain way and how, you know i mean how many of you you know out in the backyard before the the you know the basketball hoop you know talked about how you were the guy who was going to go in and you know make the hoop at the buzzer and you know we kind of developed this self-image of our uh, of ourselves and it's often based upon what we wished were true rather than what is true. When we're committed to truth, sometimes we have to recognize that that image needs to be deconstructed. Because Jeremiah tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's really oftentimes that issue, our own truthfulness, where we are most self-deceived. Most of us like to think of ourselves as being honest people. And for that reason, we may be inclined to turn a blind eye to the less than truthful aspects of our character. See, there's a difference between wanting to be seen in a certain way and actually being that way. We all want to be seen as noble, honest, integrous and truthful and that's how we pose to one another but what are the difficult steps that we need to take not just to be seen that way but to actually be that way well what it ha- what, what 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 is required is a willingness to to be transparent so that the sin that is in our hearts, can be exposed to the light of the truth and can be dealt with through repentance. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about this. He said, complete truthfulness is only possible where sin has been uncovered and forgiven by Jesus. Only those who have honestly faced their weakness through the confession of their sin to Jesus are not ashamed to tell the truth wherever it must be told. The truthfulness which Jesus demands of his followers, says Bonhoeffer, is the self-abnegation. Now that's a pretty fancy word. Which does not hide sin. The willingness to just not puff yourself up, but to step back and to look at yourself. Allow yourself to be examined. Nothing is then hidden. Everything is brought forth to the light of day. He goes on to say the cross is God's truth about us and therefore the only power which can help make us truthful. When we know the cross, we are no longer afraid of the truth. The truth cuts false fellowship to pieces and establishes genuine brotherhood. And that is what I think we want. Genuine brotherhood. That's what Forge is all about. And in order to do that, we have to be willing to be transparent. And sometimes I get a glimpse of myself and I realize all of the pretentiousness that exists in my life. And I need my brothers to help me to not be self-deceived. And the good news is that when we're willing to be honest like that, we can repent. (laughs) And we can have Jesus come and forgive us and help set us more and more on the path of being like him. Because you see, Jesus is our example of real transparency. One of the most compelling characteristics of our Lord. He had no hidden agenda. He didn't play games. He walked in light. Not in darkness, utterly unpretentious, no manipulation. We need to be like Him in that way. Jesus is a model of transparency. Think about the fact that He wasn't afraid to say things to people that they didn't want to hear. I was just thinking about that, just in terms of Peter, his interaction with Peter. Peter must have been one of his best friends, one of his most loyal guys, you know? Always standing up, the real man. Peter said, Lord, you know, don't don't go, don't say you're going to go to be crucified. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Wow. Wow. The crowd started to leave him. Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. In mince words. Pastor Terry was just uh, in this last series talking about how when Jesus is was washing the disciples' feet and he comes up to Peter and, he said, and Peter says, oh Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Now, I might have said, you know what, Peter, I understand you're uncomfortable with it. Um, You know, I'll just move on to somebody else. But what did Jesus say? He says, look, you know what, unless I wash your feet, you can have any part of me. There was that openness and that honesty and that willingness, yeah, to say the hard truth. Jesus was a model of transparency. He ate, he slept, he traveled. With his disciples. They shared his sufferings and they shared his joys. They saw his strengths. They saw his miracles, but they saw him in his weakness too. Not in his character, but in his vulnerability. Remember when he went to Nazareth? The Bible says he could do no miracles there. Wow, that must have been a surprise. They knew that he was tempted. They saw him struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus made no effort to hide those things. And then he said to them, I no longer call you servants because a master does not confide in his servants. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything. You know, when we watch Superman leap tall buildings in a single bound, it's pretty exciting, but it doesn't give us hope that we can do the same thing. Jesus wasn't Superman. He was accessible. He was transparent. And he allowed his disciples and us to see the struggles so that we could recognize that struggle in ourselves. We need a transparent Messiah, and God gave us one. His candor, his humility, his plain-spokenness, his willingness... To say the truth unvarnished, without caveat, is our example of what it means to be transparent truth-tellers. It's most effective when practiced with a group of other men, like Jesus did. And uh, if you don't have somebody that you can be really honest with in your life, find someone. Find someone that you can share Your weaknesses, your trials. You don't always have to look good in front of this person. In fact, you ought to stop trying. Because that pressure is a lot, isn't it? To look good, you have to look good at work, you have to look good at home, you have to look good out on the field. But there has to be some place to begin with where you don't have to look good, you just have to be real, you have to be authentic. That's what we want for ourselves here in Forge. It's the WYSIWYG principle, you know? What you see is what you get. And many of us are uncomfortable with that. You know, and you see it in the way we talk to one another. How are you doing? Fine, how are you? I'm good. (laughs) But there's a genuineness that we're talking about. Genuineness compels us to be open about our failures, about our weaknesses. How are you doing? Not really good. Oh, well, gee. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't expect that one, did you? No. Look through the Bible. That's one of the most amazing things about the Bible is that it's not some sort of, you know, Norse God story, where everybody's, you know, got superpowers. You see human beings, you see Moses, who doesn't know enough how to organize himself. And he finally needs his father-in-law to come and say, look at you, you're falling apart. You're trying to do everything. You know, who made you God? you got to pick some men who are going to help you. Moses was weak. What about David? He got so mad at people, he said... You know, God, tear him apart. And God actually allowed that to go into the Bible. It's called Imprecatory Psalms, where David prays against people. That's a whole other subject. Whether we're supposed to do that ourselves or whether this is just a good example of David really being honest and truthful about how he was feeling, because Psalms teach us how to pray. And it's okay to be angry and to tell God, I'm really angry. And then God gives us an opportunity to share that with some brothers as well so that we can get it out we can be real with one another. Job, that which I have most feared has come upon me. He was living in fear and he struggled. And Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. He was just a big crybaby, you know. But we don't like to cry. We need wisdom to know how to be transparent. You see, transparency without wisdom or discernment leads to foolishness. But transparency with wisdom brings this authenticity, this integrity. And so we need to be committed to doing that. We need to be committed to truth and transparency and then to telling it like it is. Paul said, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. You know, when I go hiking sometimes, um, if I get my, one of my knees acting up, my knee is hurting, my whole body knows it. We're a part of a body. And if one part hurts, what? The whole part. And so, that's the idea here. And sometimes we, you know, because we're not accustomed to, being, to telling it like it is, uh, we can see a brother hurting or in need or in self-deception and we don't want to risk the challenge of speaking truth to that situation. We prefer peacekeeping over confrontation because it's not pleasant. We buy peace instead of truth, and in the end, we have neither. Cheap peace produces phony relationships, and part of transparency means being willing to surround yourself with those who will tell you the truth even though it hurts. A lot of us are really good at telling other people the truth, but not so good at hearing it for ourselves, and I'll confess to that. You know, I'm supposed to be the leader in my organization. And so that means I'm supposed to always get it right and always know the answers. That's the pressure, and I, 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 I believe that about myself all too often. And then somebody comes and tells me where I'm wrong, and my first reaction is to bristle. But I I should want that. We should all want that kind of honesty. That kind of transparency. That kind of willingness to hear and to speak truth to one another. Have you ever said to someone, I'll be praying for you as a social ritual when you know you don't really mean to do it? Or have you ever said to someone, hey, let's do lunch sometime. And then they say, okay, when? (laughs) And you're offended. (laughs) Why do we communicate to people what they want to hear instead of what we know to be true? Because we want to be the good guy. Have you ever been asked to write a reference for someone that you didn't really feel very good (laughs) about writing the reference for? I I, am asked to write references a lot. One time a student asked uh, one of his professors to write a a letter of reference and the professor didn't have much confidence in the student, but he didn't want to ruin the guy's chances for the job. So he said, if you knew him the way I know him, then you would feel about him the way I do. (laughs) (laughs) You can't do that (laughs) if you want to be a truth teller. You have to be willing to risk. I made some big mistakes on this one. There was a couple that um, had served with our organization for a while and they they were finishing with one assignment and they really wanted to be transferred to this one branch. And I heard them and I said okay well let me let me look into that. And so then I contacted the people in that branch and to a person they really did not want this couple. I mean, they, did, they, were, they were desperately trying to convince me that this was not a good fit, and I listened to them, and there were more of them than you know, the two in the couple, so I said, okay, let's, let me figure this out. So I didn't want to offend the couple. I didn't want to tell them the reason, so I, I, I constructed another fit for them somewhere else, and I really tried to sell them on it, and they were actually disappointed, but they agreed to go to the place that I assigned them. And then somehow, and I still to this day don't know how, they found out that the reason why they weren't assigned to the place they wanted to go was because the people there didn't want them. And who were they angry at? Me. (laughs) You see, I sacrificed the truth in order to protect what I thought was to protect their feelings. Speak the truth in love. Put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. My mistake was placing a higher value on peace than on having authenticity in the relationship, and it proved to be a costly error, and they were so angry they couldn't finish their term, and they left the organization, and they're still mad at me to this day, and it's been like five, more, five years or more. So how do you respond when you're put into a situation where you have to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, and you know that that's going to rock the boat, or break the peace? My experience has been that when you take the risk of telling the truth, sometimes it will create a break, but more often than not, it will deepen the relationship. Any relationship that's preserved through a commitment to avoid telling the truth is ultimately a counterfeit. Truth can be a great healer if we allow it to be. It can expose areas in ourselves that are selfish and vindictive, those areas that tend towards darkness and evil. Truth is a giant spotlight on our lives. And because of that, sometimes you have to squint and it hurts, it's painful. But when we avoid it, we end up with moral leprosy. Most of you know a little bit about leprosy. It's a de- disease that actually deadens the nerves and individuals with the disease will actually harm themselves without realizing it because of the numbness, you know. They wound themselves and they're not even aware of the of the, of the wounding. And uh, so numbness needs leads to that neglect and then comes, you know, infection and then ultimately disfiguration. The pain that our nerve endings register help us to maintain our body in good health and that's what truth does to our souls. Sometimes it's painful but it's a good kind of pain because it preserves us from the injury and the infection and the disfiguring of a lie. Avoiding or abusing truth eventually leads to a loss of feeling for truth, a loss of awareness of truth, and that's what I mean by moral leprosy. We need to maintain a sensitivity to truth by truth. But remember, truth is only a part of our responsibility as a follower of Jesus. We have to be willing to care for the person that we're sharing the truth with. We can't always count on the fact that the person telling us the truth will care enough for us, but we need to care enough for us to be willing to receive it. So, let me just wrap this up. When we make a commitment to telling it like it is, we have to have a reality check for the substance behind what it is that we're saying. Are we exaggerating? Or are we like the deerslayer, willing to allow the words to go straight to the heart in order to make what we're saying as accurate as possible? Avoid the inclination to soft-pedal truth in order to make yourself feel like the good guy or to ease the tension. Don't weaken the truth by offering it with caveats. Truth is best served by clarifying what's really at stake, not clouding the issues. But having said that, it's so important to be compassionate as a truth teller, to really care about the impact of what it is that we're saying. We don't want to cloud the issue, but we can deliver the truth in a context where a person is more ready to receive it. Think of it in this way. You've got two doctors and one patient. The doctor, A, comes to the patient and he says, Look, buddy, you're fat. You're lucky your blood pressure isn't popping your eyeballs out. You're gonna lose weight or you're gonna die. And maybe some doctors have said that and it's gotten a good result. But how about the doctor that says, you know what, middle age is catching up with all of us and sometimes the changes catch our bodies by surprise. But the good news is if you lose weight and begin a regimen of exercise, healthy eating, in short, I think you're gonna make some progress that'll make you feel better and give you more energy throughout the day. Here's a list of foods that you should eat. Here's some exercises that you begin to practice. Something as simple as walking briskly for half an hour, three to five times a week. So, you see, both doctors told the truth, but one told it with compassion and care. And that's the kind of truth-teller that we want to be I know it's the one that I want to talk to me, (laughs) and I've had that conversation. (laughs) Finally, how do you tell someone that you disagree with them without hurting their feelings? Well, sometimes you can't. When we tell those little white lies out of fear of hurting somebody's feelings, We demonstrate, number one, that we haven't given much thought to the situation, or number two, that we really don't care enough about that person to speak up and risk offending them for the better good. Telling it like it is can be risky business. But that's what it means to be authentic, to be true, authentic, men of God, be willing to risk, to tell the truth, and be willing to to hear the truth from those that we allow into our lives. We have to be willing, and we have to remember what Jesus said. He said, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. And of course, then Jesus goes on to tell us that it is God whom we should fear. God, who is the source of truth. God, who is the standard of integrity and authenticity. So, men, brothers, let's be authentic. Let's be men who fear God, who tell the truth, and do what's right. Let's pray. And in this uh, moment of reflection, if there's something that God has kind of poked you with in this last few minutes, maybe take the time now to just speak to him about it. Lord, we've gathered here tonight because we, we want to be in your presence and in the presence of those who can help us to be more like Jesus. And we, all of us, can see areas of our lives that need that touch, that need your, your forgiveness. We know that the cross is truth to us and that we need that forgiveness for the ways that we've shifted and shaded and allowed dishonesty to creep in all around us Lord and and I pray that all of us as brothers would be buyers of the truth that you would help us to open our lives up to the searching of your word and the fellowship of other brothers who can speak truth to us that we would be transparent to one another that we would be like Jesus and be willing to say things and to hear things Lord help us to speak truth to one another, to take the risk so that we can draw closer to one another, draw closer to you, and really be authentic men of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, guys, you are dismissed. God bless you.